Well, good morning, second service. How are we? Yeah. Can you give it up for Kyle as that was his first time doing announcements? Yeah. So much more talented than someone who just spends most of his day cutting grass. And so if you notice, he's the one out on the zero turn. That's how he spends most of his days. So he had a lot of practice talking to himself. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so don't judge him. If you see him out there, he's just practicing his next hosting spot. Um, but my name is Kevin Boyle. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Great Oaks Community Church. And uh, as we were thinking about the 4th of July Sunday, uh, we talked about, you know, who would be the most, uh, have the most charisma, who would look the best on camera as, you know, a lot of people are traveling, uh, you know, who would really speak to those who are on the online. And then they realized that I'm the only one that was going to be here. So you got me. So, yeah. But no, I'm excited. Um, to continue on our series in the parables. And so last week, Pastor Chase talked about the parable of the sower or the soils. And so he talked about that a parable is a uh, simple story that's meant to tell a spiritual truth or a moral, uh, moral or spiritual truth. And so that's really important, especially when we're looking at our parable today. But I want to clarify something, even though we're talking about soil, we're talking about seeds, these are two very separate parables. And so last week, I uh, encourage you, if you missed it, uh, to go check it out on our online or on our app. But uh, I talked about that the soils represent us, right? And so there's the rocky soil, there's the path, there's the, the good soil, right? So th that's that parable. And so that represents us, and the seed is the word of God. So as I'm talking about the parable of the mustard seed, the seed represents something completely different. And so uh, it's two different stories just to make sure that we don't confuse those uh, as we dive in. And so I'm going to, before we start, I want to bring, tell you a story of another holiday uh, that kind of shows the point that we're going to be making about the parable of the mustard seed. And I was made aware of this holiday about a month and a half ago. Uh, and so it was May 22nd. It is Bitcoin Pizza Day. And so if you're familiar, there's, I know there's holidays for everything, right? But if you're familiar, if you're in the cryptocurrency, uh, we have some worship pastors that are in the crypto world. Um, but this is, in 2010, one of the programmers paid 10,000 Bitcoins for two large Papa John's pizzas. Now, granted, I get it, right? Better ingredients, better pizza. They got the butter beverage, right? But it seems like a lot, like 10,000 coins for two large pizzas. But the reason why this is a holiday is this is the first time, and so Bitcoin was the first, and it was the first time that uh, cryptocurrency was exchanged for goods or used as a payment. And so it gave it a valuation. And so the value of Bitcoin in 2010 was 0 .004. In other words, four thousandths of a dollar or four tenths of a penny, okay? Not very much. And so 10,000 Bitcoins, two large Papa John's pizzas. So now in May uh, 22nd, 2021, those same 10,000 Bitcoins would have been $640 million. And so that's what has people going, we're going to the moon, right? Investing into the cryptocurrency craze. Now, granted, cryptocurrency is taking a bit of a dive, and so it's only worth $320 million currently. But you get the idea, right? 
of four-tenths of a penny now worth millions of dollars. And so that's kind of the idea that we're talking about with this parable of the mustard seed, something so small that, right, it seems you can't even really comprehend and then it grows into large, something large. And so as we dive into the word, we're going to be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so one of the things that's interesting about the parable of the mustard seed is it's one of the only parables that is actually recorded in all three Gospels. Uh, there's four, but there's three synoptic Gospels, okay? Sorry. So the three synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? So these a lot of times have some of the same stories. John is kind of on its own. And so, um, which this brings up issues because uh, we're going to talk about this and see some of the differences that are recorded. And so we're going to read all, th- uh, all three accounts and so there are just a couple verses. So the first one is Matthew. And so we are going to be in Matthew verse 31. And so you can follow along on version. It will be on the screen if you have your Bible in front of you. Um, and so you're going to get, to, I'm, a, I'm a youth pastor, so I have a game within the, the message. And so see if you can find the differences. And then there will be, uh, I'll show a graphic up there that kind of highlights them. But see if you can notice them before the graphic goes up. So verse 31, it says this. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay, so that's Matthew's account. So then we're going to go to Luke 13. And so starting in verse 8, see if you can see any differences. So this is Luke's account. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, and a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Okay? Luke is kind of short and sweet. And then we're going to go back to uh, Mark. And so Mark is kind of your friend. I don't know if you have a friend that like just constantly says things that doesn't, doesn't really need to be said and sometimes gets them into trouble. And so that's going to be Mark. Mark's going to say, add a couple things that skeptics are really going to hit hard on and kind of say that, oh, this shows that there's inaccuracies in Scripture. So then we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. So this is Mark's account. So this is Mark 4, starting in verse 30. And he said... What can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Okay, so there are three accounts, and so we're going to kind of go through And look at the differences. And so the first one uh, up there is real easy. And so highlighted in yellow, Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven. Luke uses kingdom of God. Mark uses kingdom of God. Okay? Real simple. Uh, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. They did not use God's name. And so simply put, he refers to it as the kingdom of heaven instead of using kingdom of God. Okay? That's real basic, so that's, that's easy. The next ones are a little bit harder and ones that 
skeptics will actually use to show that they think shows that there's inaccuracies in the scripture. And so as we believe that scripture is an errant, meaning without error, they will point to this and say, okay, this is the same parable and there's inaccuracies. There's three different accounts. They use different words. And so we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. So Matthew says, a man took and sowed in his field. Luke said, a man took and sowed in his garden. And then Mark said, which when sown in the ground, okay? So we have field, we have garden, and we have ground. I think that this is kind of an easy, uh, I think there's an easy explanation, honestly. Um, So when teachers are teaching, uh, we tend to use the same illustrations. Uh, If you've ever listened to Pastor Chase, he uses the same illustrations, okay? And so uh, you look at different messages, and so we have in here, Jesus is walking around, and so he has three years of his public ministry. He probably taught on the kingdom of God quite a lot, quite a bit, right? He probably told this tens, maybe even hundreds of times, and so there's different accounts, and I think Jesus would have used what was around. And so maybe one time there was a garden. And so he simply said the mustard seed, which was planted in the garden. And then there was a time, maybe he was by a field, right? Where he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. And then, or in the field, right? And in the ground. And we can see how this is because unlike the parable last week where Chase, where the ground, the soil mattered, the, gr- the soil doesn't matter in this parable. That doesn't change the purpose. It doesn't change what the meaning is. And so Jesus is simply sharing a story. And like I said, a parable is a simple story that is used to, to teach a moral or spiritual truth, right? It's not to be caught up in the details. It's not to be caught up in different things. And so he's simply just using what is around him. And then, so then the last two that I'm going to highlight are kind of tied in together, and so they're blue up on the the screen. And that is grown and larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that's Matthew. Luke says, and grew and became a tree. And then Mark says, garden plants and put out large branches. Okay? So um, this is the smallest Tupperware container that we had. And so this is contain- This has probably about a thousand mustard seeds in it. And so there's different talks. I've done a lot of research, probably more than I should have, on mustard and looking at different kinds of seeds. And so most people, when they think of mustard, right, they're thinking of like the French's mustard that you're going to be throwing on some brats later, right, yellow. Um, and so that's yellow mustard. And a lot of times it has a yellow flower on it, and it's kind of more of like a weed that kind of comes up, does not resemble a tree at all. Okay, so then there's white mustard, there's brown mustard. Um, Those are seeds, not necessarily mustard you can get at the store. But, um, and then there's this one, which is black mustard seed. And this is more likely what Jesus was referring to. And so when this is planted in the ground, this can grow up to eight to ten feet tall and resemble a tree. Okay, so not that this makes a real big uh, difference in the story because the idea is just simply growing from small to large, but again, skeptics will say, well, mustard doesn't grow into a tree, so again, Jesus is wrong. 
but this actually can resemble a tree. And also this is popular and was popular in the Middle East. And so most likely this is the kind of seed Jesus was referring to, black mustard seed. Now the reason why the tree is important is because of the next one that we're going to highlight the difference. And it says this. uh, In Matthew it says, make nests in its branches, make nests in its branches, and then make nests in its shade. So what I think Jesus is getting at, and there's, there's debate over this because this isn't necessarily the main point of, of the parable, but I believe that Jesus is pointing to Old Testament prophecy. And what I mean by that is in, in the book of Daniel, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there is a large cedar tree, and in it, the birds of the air flock to it. We also see this in Ezekiel, and we see it in the book of Psalms. And so in the Old Testament, the birds of the air represent the Gentiles, represent the nations coming to the tree. And being that it's in all three of the gospel accounts, I believe that Jesus was actually using this to show that even in this parable, that the kingdom of God is going to be one which the Gentiles will come to and not just to the Jewish people. Now, the reason why that's good news is you're all birds of the air. I don't know if you know this, unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. And so the kingdom of God, for you coming to it, like Jesus even saying this, that saying that you were going to come to the tree and be part of the kingdom of God being referenced as the Gentiles. So um, there's a a scholar who kind of writes on this. Uh, He's got a real scholarly name, Klein Snodgrass. Um, If that's not a scholar name, I don't know what is. Um, I'm sure he's a really nice gentleman. Um, But he says this, The differences among the accounts are interesting, but apart from the possible significance of the tree, which we talked about, do not constitute a difference in meaning. The smallness of seed is mentioned in in Mark and Matthew and assumed in Luke, and whether it's sown in the field, the earth, or the garden, changes nothing in terms of the parable's intent. And there is not much significance to the variation in wording. Okay? So, in that, basically taking again, what is a parable? A parable is simply a simple story, right? Jesus was using stories, believe it or not. Uh, they didn't have the, the iPad Pros to take notes on, or when I was in college, right, taking notes on laptops. Maybe for some of you, you had the college rule, the wide rule. I was a wide rule notebook fan. Or maybe for some of you, papyrus. I don't know. But writing down. Anyway, his culture, they didn't have that. And so he was using stories because people remember stories to teach points. And so he's using parables to teach points about the kingdom of God. And so he uses a mustard seed, right? Something that they would be very aware of. You probably can't even see that. Um, Very tiny. And uses it and refers to the kingdom of God. And so, the question is, what is the kingdom of God? And there is a, a teaching pastor out in California who has this definition that I think is super helpful and very easy to remember. And the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. Okay? God's reign through God's people over God's place. And so, unpacking that, God's reign, simply, Jesus is the king. Right? It's his kingdom. He's the king. Pretty simple. We get that. And then God's people. And so if you believe 
that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you've given your life to Jesus, then you are part of his kingdom, right? You have given your life over to his reign in your life. And so as part of that, God is bringing and advancing his kingdom through his people, and then there's God's place, okay? So God is the creator of heavens and earth, right? He created the garden, And back in the garden, sin entered and broke everything, right? It severed our relationship with Jesus. And ever since then, God has been rescuing his creation, his place, advancing his kingdom through his people for his reign, right? So the kingdom of God. So he has been restoring and rescuing his kingdom. And so that's the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God, God's reign, his people, His place is like a mustard seed. So why does this matter? Why? um, I think kind of backing up real quick. um, In this, we see this idea of this, this simple, tiny object. We see this idea of a paradox. And if you're familiar with paradox, Uh, Chuck Colson says this about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of paradox where through ugly defeat of a cross, a holy God is utterly glorified. Victory comes through defeat, healing through brokenness, finding self through losing self. We see this other places of saying, right, where Jesus talks about that the last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? Or that if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. These are paradox. And so, Uh, A definition of what a paradox is, a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet is perhaps true. A statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet is perhaps true. And so we see that, we see three of them in this parable of the mustard seed. And the first is that the smallest will become the largest. And so this is the biggest argument and critique that people have in this story, that skeptics have. The mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world. And so if you believe that Jesus, that all things were created in him and through him, would know that this is not the smallest seed in the world. And so is either Jesus lying or did he not know? Was he not all-knowing? Was he not fully God? And so they will point to this of saying, well, then again, there's an inaccuracy in Scripture. How can you say that the Bible is inerrant? I think it's pretty simple. Of understanding, again, what a parable is. A parable is telling of a simple story to prove a point. And so in the Greco-Roman world, the mustard seed was synonymous with the smallest. It was, it's what it meant, like, it, it's an idiom. It's something similar to, we have things like small fry, right? Of saying, hey, you're just a small fry, right? Insignificant, not important, tiny. Now, based off my stature, I assumed it was like a small fry at McDonald's. Like, that's what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. Turns out that a small fry is referencing juvenile fish or just fish that have been hatched, Right? not worth catching, not worth anything, too small, right? But just simply saying you're a small fry, that's an idiom that we use in our culture that people would understand that means small. The same thing is with a mustard seed. 
The story that most of you may be familiar with is faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. And so Jesus isn't saying when he says, if you only had faith like a mustard seed, that if you had this amount of faith, you could do miracles. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying A plus B equals mountains moved, right? That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying if you would have had any faith at all, just the littlest, tiniest amount of faith, God could have done amazing things. And so understanding what it meant in that culture. And so he's not saying, literally saying, that the kingdom of God is that size. That's not what he's saying. But he's simply using it for, to illustrate a point, to make a point that the kingdom of God is not what it seems like. That it goes in the hands of God, something that is small, God can make to be the largest. And so why would he be making this point? Why would he be talking to his audience? And I think it's pretty simple to understand, right? He's walking around, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is among you, right? He's the king, so the kingdom of God is right there among them. And his, his listeners are looking around going, wait, hold up. I got a question. Um, you keep talking about this kingdom of God, uh, where is it? Like, what does it look like? I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the glitz, the glamour that would be, that would resemble the kingdom of God. If you know back in like the Old Testament with the tabernacle and the temple, God was very specific on what that was to look like. And it included the finest materials, gold, precious stones, it was specific to the measurements, the cloth that was used, the wood that was used. It was the finest. It was magnificent. It was stunning. And then they look, they look at Jesus and like, what? Like, there's a disconnect. You keep talking about this kingdom of God. I think, for me, I think they were thinking of like Prince Ali entering in to Alibaba, right? If you've seen that, that entrance, right? where he comes strolling in. He's got thousands of people walking in with him. He's got dancers. He's got a full musical band. He's got, an animal. He's got animals. He's got elephants, right? He's got 75 golden camels. He's got 53 purple peacocks. He's got 93 Persian white monkeys. And depending on your flair, he's got Robin Williams or Will Smith emceeing for him, right, as Genie. Like, that's what they're expecting. That represents the kingdom of God, right? Bringing it in. There's someone who actually did a study and said that if that to actually happen would cost about $2 billion. People had a lot of free time during COVID. And most of it, most of it went to the golden camels, okay? Uh, $1.9 billion went to making 75 golden camels. Um, but that's what I think they're expecting, right? This grand entrance, and so all of a sudden they're looking at Jesus and they're like, you're 13 dudes from the Galilee region. Like, where's this kingdom of God? And then you throw in the crazy man out in the wilderness, John the Baptist, who's eating locusts and honey. Like, these are your ambassadors? Like, these represent the kingdom of God? Are you kidding me? Like, that's what I think they're thinking. And so he's saying the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Because they were expecting a conquering hero. They were expecting the Messiah to come and overturn 
the most powerful empire known in the world at that time. That's who they were expecting. And so, and if you, if you remember, Pastor Dan talked about this, that uh, on, pa- uh, not Passover, on Palm Sunday, that Jesus came riding a donkey, right? That, that symbolized peace and reconciliation. That Jesus came not as the conquering hero, but he came as the one to save and reconcile us to God. And this is still an issue that Jews have today. Dennis Prager is a famous uh, radio host, and uh, he wrote a book called Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism. And this is what he had to say about why, why Jewish people do not see Jesus as the Messiah. Why do Jews not accept Jesus as the Messiah? Judaism does not believe that Jesus was the Messiah because he did not fulfill any messianic prophecies. The Messiah will bring universal peace, that conquering hero. It has been oblivious, or obvious, not oblivious, obvious for over 1,900 years that the messianic days of the peace have not arrived. And so his people were looking for the person who was going to overturn Rome. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're like, I, I don't get it. Like, you keep talking about the kingdom of God, but yet, how, how is this band of jokers going to do that? Right? Your band of misfits. Right? They didn't come from the right families. They didn't, come, they didn't pass Bible school. Right? They were dropouts. So you're telling me that that group is going to raise up and, and defeat the most powerful empire in the, in the world? And Jesus response, teaching. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that when planted in the ground will grow up to be the largest of all garden plants, right? And the issue, the thing that, mo- that the Jews missed is that Jesus came first to reconcile people to God. And he's coming back again as the conquering hero. Revelation tells us that he will come back and he will be riding the white war horse. He will come back as that conquering hero. And he will establish universal peace. And at that point, his kingdom will be established. And so that is what the Jews have missed. And Jesus was trying to tell them that his kingdom is like a mustard seed and, and that it will eventually turn into the tree. The third paradox that we see in this, and I think applies to us today, is we or the world perceive things as insignificant, but God sees them as significant. And so as we look at it, it's easy for us to be like, God, what are you doing? Like, we look at our political climate, like, where's the kingdom of God? What are you establishing? What are you doing? You look at the, the world, looks like it's in decay, it's getting worse, right? Maybe for you personally, you're sitting there and looking at your life and you're just like, is what I'm doing even matter? Right? Maybe you're the stay-at-home mom or dad, right? Where you're caught in the daily routine of life, just doing the same thing over and over and over. Does it even matter pouring into your kids? 
Maybe you're at work and you're kind of looking at it and be like, this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't the, my career choice. I'm just here collecting a paycheck. I'm just trying to get by. This, I feel like I'm in a holding pattern. I feel like I'm waiting. That's one thing that young adults talk about all the time is like they feel like they have this calling from God, but yet they just aren't there yet. And so does it even matter what I'm doing? Are you trusting in the fact that God has you in the season that you're in for a reason? Do you believe that God is at work even when it doesn't look like he's at work? Right? Maybe we're in the comparison game where we're looking at other people and being like, I'm not as powerful as them. I don't have the title as them. I don't have as much money as them. Right? I don't have as much significance as them. Am I even, my choices that I'm making where I'm being obedient to God, does it even matter? Does it even, does he even see it? Does it even count? Would I just be better off just doing my own thing? Right? And that, honestly, in, in social media, it's really easy to look at and be like, there's more people having greater influence. Does it even matter that I'm pouring into one person? That I'm discipling one person? Is that one person going to make a difference? Even though it feels like I'm beating my head against the wall, like they're just not getting it? And I think for us, we can ask the same question of God, what are you doing? Right? And I kind of talked about, I kind of missed over that second point, but we, they see the seed, right? But God sees the tree. And so we can look at it, be like one seed, what is this going to do? And we can feel like we're the seed, right? Insignificant, not important, not a big deal, tiny. The world is so big, it's never going to notice. It's never going to be anything. But yet in the hands of God, this can become a mighty tree. This can become a mighty tree. Even though this looks insignificant, in the hands of God, it can become significant. And I want to tell a story about D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody. Some, yeah, some, maybe even attending school there, uh, but he was a famous evangelist. Led through his ministry, God brought many people to salvation, right? And he started the Moody Bible Institute and continued to train up and equip pastors and ministry leaders and people for ministry. And through D.L. Moody's ministry, there was a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman, Wilbur, you don't hear that name much anymore, but Wilbur Chapman became an evangelist. And through his ministry, a volunteer came by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player who decided to give, wanted to tell people about Jesus and dedicated his life to telling people about Jesus. And eventually Billy Sunday took over Chapman's ministry and through Billy Sunday's crusades, thousands of people came to know Jesus. And even in that, in itself, that's a story in, of triumph, right? Of going from D.L. Moody to, to Chapman to Sunday to thousands of people being impacted, but it doesn't stop there. There was a group of people who were moved by the ministry of Billy Sunday. And so in 1932, they wanted to have an old-fashioned tent revival 
in Charlotte, North Carolina, fire and brimstone. And there was a, there was a, a farmer who heard about this. They were bringing in an evangelist called Mordecai Ham. And so he loads up his pickup truck, which isn't even legal anymore, I don't think. Just whatever, just do whatever you got to to get him there, right? Throw him in the back. And one of the people that was thrown in the back of his pickup truck was a 16-year-old by the name of Billy Graham. So Billy Graham, as many of you probably know, is one of the greatest evangelists to ever live. And because of his ministry, thousands thousands upon thousands, probably even millions of people were brought to a saving faith in Jesus. And not only that, he declared the gospel throughout the nations. And I would say, even bringing that, the mustard seed of the birds of the air coming to the tree, fulfilling that, of bringing people around the world through Billy Graham's crusades. Now what makes this story applicable to us in the parable of the mustard seed is the question of who brought D.L. Moody to Christ. It wasn't a famous evangelist. It wasn't a pastor. It wasn't his parents. It was a Sunday school teacher. It was a Sunday school teacher who cared about the people in his class. And he knew that D.L. Moody was a boy who didn't know who Jesus was. And so, out of his concern for him, he went to his place of work. And he found him in the shoe store, stocking shelves, and there he led D.L. Moody to Christ. Now, Scripture makes it very clear that when someone gives their life to Jesus, that there's a party and that's significant. But in the eyes of the world, that Sunday school teacher, right, was a mustard seed. Simple, one person. What's one person going to do in this world? But by reaching D.L. Moody, millions of people are going to spend eternity in heaven because God can turn a mustard seed into a tree. That's the power of the parable of the mustard seed. And so for you, sitting here, of looking at your life, of simply saying, God, what are you doing? Do you believe that God is working even when you don't feel it? Do you believe that God is working even when you don't see it? Do you believe that God is the one who can turn your life, your obedience, your faith into a tree? And are we committed, are we people who are committed to advancing the gospel, of being, giving our life to God, of saying we're going to be committed to advancing the gospel and allowing God to turn our lives that are a mustard seed in the world into trees for the kingdom of God. And so at Great Oaks, that's my question. Are you willing 
to allow God to move? And are you willing to live out the parable of the mustard seed, allowing God, who can do amazing things with things that seem so tiny, and maybe you feel insignificant, maybe you feel like, and you're looking at your life and you're saying, I'm the seed. What do I have to give? But in the hands of God, a lot. God can move in mighty ways in advancing his kingdom and understanding that scripture tells us that Jesus will be coming back as that conquering king and his kingdom will be established here on earth and that he is continually trying to establish and advance his kingdom through God's people, which is you, to God's world. And he needs us to be willing to be used by him. So are you willing to be used? That is my question. Are you willing to be the mustard seed? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close in a song. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this group and those watching online. Lord, I pray as we are a group of people that oftentimes we can be stuck looking at what seems insignificant, small, not important. Lord, that we can have the faith to look and to see your word, your goodness, your promises, and know that you are the one that can move and to make a tiny seed become a tree. Lord, I pray for those in here that you've spoken to, Lord, that, that we can be committed to advancing your kingdom to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, that we can go and be mustard seeds in this world that's sprouting up trees that continually point to you, Lord. Lord, I pray just over this group and that Great Oaks as a church that we can continue to advance your kingdom, giving you the glory, trusting that you are the one who will move mighty ways. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you come back as that conquering king. And so, Lord, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.